Hey, this is Josh. Thanks for tuning into the show, Healers on Healing. I wanted to make this show because we can get caught in the trappings of life. Responsibilities, bills to pay, kids to feed, just all these things that take our attention. And to me, healing and being our healthiest self gets neglected. I thought it'd be interesting to ask my colleagues and other professionals what the heck this thing, health and healing, is. I hope these conversations inspire you, demystify the process, maybe reinforce what you already know, and give you new ideas on how to be the healthiest you. episode, my guest Dr. Laura Fagoski talks about physical health from a more holistic perspective. Dr. Laura Fagoski is a naturopathic physician practicing in San Francisco. Tune in as she discusses the complexities surrounding one's physical health and shares insights in how to best support it. My name is Dr. Laura Fagoski. I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I work primarily with people struggling with chronic disease. A really common show up is you know things around digestion or skin, you know rashes or breakouts, things like that. But it kind of covers the range to autoimmunity, chronic inflammation, and so that's things like you know lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, or kind of the range in there. People come to me because they're frustrated with the care that they've received from their conventional practitioners and they're looking for more, they're looking for different, they're looking for somebody to try to put those pieces together with them a bit more. Quality of information is variable, conflicting information, they don't know who to trust, they don't, they're don't. looking for guidance. So often those are the types of things that bring people in. Perfect. You opened the door to okay. my big question. Right. You look kind of at the whole picture mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's partially how you're going to answer yeah. this question. Of, like, what is health? What is wellness? What is this whole picture that you're focusing on? Yeah. So for me, health is a big umbrella idea. And certainly the focus of my work centers more in the biochemistry of the body in terms of my skill sets and my training and the the nitty gritty of what I do. But my concepts of health and what I try to work with people on is a much more expansive and broader view of health. So it's kind of that that inclusive, you know, mind, body, spirit sort of, you know, triad, if you will, specifically, not just an absence of a disease, but it's a state of where everything is functioning well, where there's a state of resiliency, right? People don't have to be, I see this a lot with people, especially with food and digestion, where they feel like they have to be perfect. And if they stray just a little bit, then everything falls apart, right? And they get all these symptoms. And to me, great, I'm glad you don't have symptoms if you're perfect with every little thing, but that's, to me, that's not health. Resiliency around health where you can, there's a little bit of wiggle room where you can get off track a little bit in short, maybe cause and effect are still present. You, maybe you still have symptoms, but you can bounce back that you're not knocked out for weeks on end and have this big recovery, but you can get back on track. That absolutely overlaps with mental health and kind of the, the 
cognitive perspectives people have on their health and you know attaching to ideas of perfectionism or flexibility and things like that it also maps a lot to I guess we call it spiritual but kind of the like life purpose you know feeling like they have value and meaning and are doing work that matters to them and all of that and I find that if some of those other kind of more abstract things are not as present or people are struggling in those areas the physical health piece is never complete. And so while my work as a practitioner is I'm not doing, you know, spiritual healing with people. I'm not a priest. I am not a therapist, but we talk about those areas and how they impact the physical health. And often I'm making suggestions or recommendations or nudges. Maybe this is an area for you to look further in, you know, have other people you can talk to. Maybe you need to, you know, sit down and talk with your mother about that. You know, part of the work is conversation and bringing visibility into those areas that like, yeah, I want you to pay attention to what you're eating and what supplements you're taking. Yes, yes, yes. And I want you to put some thought and energy towards your stress. What are you doing that is replenishing? What are you doing that's draining? Can you shift that balance? Can Do you need to talk to somebody in more detail? If they're struggling with their emotions, they're struggling with their life purpose, that's going to show up in their health, as, their physical health as well. So we try to, I try to connect those dots. I think that also helps people with their physical symptoms, understanding them a bit more, seeing that it's not always just, you know, something's wrong with my body is, you know, they have a little bit more insider ownership into it and that that helps them along the way. So I'm not a doctor and so I'm excited to ask you a lot of questions. (laughs) And so tell me if this is accurate, Mm -hmm. what I'm sort of hearing. There's this biochemistry Mm -hmm. body we're in. Yes. You didn't specifically say this and this is my first question. Is there like a natural state that the body is healthy in? Does the body, is the body striving for homeostasis or just the body is just this crazy environment and good things, bad things, wild west kind of (laughs) things happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't have objective truth here, but I have thoughts, which is that especially from the the naturopathic perspective, you kind of look at the founding tenets of the medicine and all of that. One of the key parts in there is the healing power of nature, or if you put it in Latin, it's the vis medicatrix naturae. And basically what, to me, what that is, the, the natural force within the body that, you know, life finds a way, right? You cut yourself and it heals. You don't have to do anything. It just heals. Part of our job is to get out of the way and let the body heal itself. I also think that the chemistry in the body is not necessarily guided by overarching intelligence in a way that it can kind of get stuck in different ways, right? It can get trapped in, going back to my physics training, but like a local minimum, you know, it gets a little like stuck in a little groove and it can't get out because it's this, you know, maladaptive pattern. So I think that's also some of that Wild Westness where it's just like, there's, there's this general trajectory, but you can kind of get stuck, right? You can kind of get off track. You can get stuck in the little side currents um, or little eddies. And sometimes you need help getting out of those or uh, finding, finding the way to clear the path, removing obstacles to, to obstacles to cure. That's one of those phrases. In that Wild West part, yeah. this is part two of my question, yeah. it seems you hold a notion that not just chemistry impacts chemistry. Mm-hmm. That yeah. 
chemistry, spirituality, mm-hmm. yes. life stresses, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. cognitive thoughts. All of those. All of those things can be some of the yes. Wild West characters yes. that yes. show up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and disrupt the town. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I often feel like I see a, a bit of a, a cycle, especially around things around like mood and stress, you know, mental, emotional stressors, because like life is busy and your boss is a jerk or whatever, can impact your physiology, right? Can stress hormones and neurotransmitters and all this very clear biochemistry. And then that disrupted physiology is going to set you up to not have great moods, right? To be all the more irritable, to be all the more stressed, to be all the more reactive to those environments. And there can kind of be this bit of a a feedback cycle. And sometimes I talk to people about that where in some ways it doesn't even matter what the origin is because it's just this loop and we just got to jump in wherever we can. You know, a lot of those good self mental, emotional self-care practices, do your deep breathing, do your meditation, do your journal, right? You can jump in on that side. Sometimes the angle I end up taking, just because again, people are coming to me with these other expectations is well, let's get your physiology balanced. Let's see if we can calm down your cortisol response. Let's see if we can help support the neurotransmitters to be more stable. And from that place, then maybe your deep breathing exercise is going to be a little bit more accessible. Sometimes I talk about just trying to get the physiology balanced so then you have that foundation to then go have the rest of your life happen to you or you know experience the rest of your life and be more... No, it's not resiliency. That's the wrong word now, but having better responses, right? You're less able to be less reactive, tolerate and handle the things that you need to in your life better. So I do see a a strong kind of connection. I don't necessarily see one being dominant over the other. They're very interconnected. I just happen to have tools that usually intervene more on the physiology side. If you build strength one place, it usually is going to add to the ability Mm -hmm. of building strength another place. Yes. So yeah. that's what I sort of hear you mm, talking mm-hmm. about. It's like, yeah. if you help your mental state, usually that helps your physical state. Right. If you help your physical state, that usually helps your mental right. state. Their strength builds strength. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I often trying to I talk about like the, the virtuous cycle where it's like, okay, you step in, you build some strength in this one area, and then that helps you tolerate this next event a little bit better, so then you make better choices with your food, and now you have better energy, so now you can exercise, and that helps you have a better mood, and you know, there's kind of that, again, virtuous spiral. On the physiology side, yeah. since that is a place yeah. where a lot of your expertise and your interventions, mm-hmm. do we all have a unique physiology, mm-hmm. or is there a collective notion of physiology. Yeah, 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 yeah. I work with people as very much as individuals. And so I do see that there's variety between what is a good fit for any given person. Yes, there's some foundational chemistry about just like how our organs function. That's pretty fundamental to most people. But in terms of a lot of the nuances, I see this a lot with food, right? Some people do really well on a vegetarian diet, other people not so much. And maybe sometimes as a knee jerk, I maybe connect this back to genetics. I see a lot of individual variation. There's kind of this idea of, I work with the idea of inflammation a lot, right? And lots of things can fuel inflammation, food and microbiome disruptions and hormones and stress and toxins and infection. Lots of different things can cause inflammation in the body, but where it shows up as a symptom is individual. So in one person, it could show up on their skin and they have eczema and psoriasis. Another person's going to show up in their lungs and they have asthma. Somebody else is in their gut and it's colitis. To me, 
those are all unique health states to work with specifically, but also the underlying piece is still the same of inflammation. You know, I do lab tests as a way to really investigate, kind of take all of the, the textbook, you know, this is the textbook expression of this disease or, you know, symptom list. But then we run lab tests and see, well, what's actually going on in your body? I, I think about it a lot like that. Yeah, that there is a lot of personalization because it's also, I mean, it's genetics, it's epigenetics, right? How your gene, not just what genes you have, but how your genes are expressed. And so many things, our environment impact that. And then it's all the other crap that happens to us in our life, right? You know, the foods and the traumas and the stressors and the toxins and the other, you know, the antibiotics we took when we were seven. And, you know, all of those things impact, you know, somebody's health journey along the way. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm struck in this moment. Obviously, I've gone through Western medicine. Yeah. 43. So I've, I've, done, a, I've done a lot, but I don't think anyone has ever really been like, let's map your story. Because that's what I kind of hear you saying. Like, what are your genetics? What history of antibiotics, drugs has been incorporated into your environment that all has now turned into this expression of 43-year-old Josh with these symptoms, with these... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, and that's, that's, that's definitely what I do a lot. And it's not always... So sometimes I'm very kind of upfront and direct about kind of my thought process about thinking through the timeline. And that way, sometimes I don't always verbalize it to the patient, but that's what I'm doing when I'm asking them, you know, tell me about your past things. Did you have a bunch of ear infections as a kid? What about strep throats? Mono, you know, like kind of checking in on that, looking for those patterns. Did this inflammation, inflammatory story start early? Did it not? Doing this idea of a timeline is actually kind of in a more um, like organized way is something that I picked up from the world of functional medicine. And using that as a you know investigation tool for the practitioner, sure, but also as a teaching tool for the patient. Because if they understand, gosh, these things from you know my 40 years of life have now all led to the fact that I get you know gut pain after I eat this food empowers them in a different way right they see how it's connecting they're not then just they understand that it would be silly for me to just say here's a magic herb to make it all go away right they understand oh my food and my stress and my environment are certainly playing playing a role and so I find that it's a really empowering tool teaching tool I can share lots of good ideas about what I think somebody could do to feel better but I, I actually don't do any of it for them they're the ones putting things in their mouths. They're the ones taking the supplements. They're the ones making choices about when to go to bed. And when they have better visibility and understanding, they can nothing can stop them. You know, they can they can actually feel get better. And I think that's one of the big challenges with like the whole conventional medical system right now is like even just talking about doing that took me how long? And actually doing it with somebody, especially somebody who's think about chronic disease or diabetes or heart disease, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old, you know, it's like going through a lifetime of that, like, takes some time. This conventional, you know, 15-minute office visit doesn't accommodate for that. And then I also think there is some therapeutic value in some people telling their story. Getting sure. to share that, having somebody hear that and listen to that, especially if they've struggled with chronic disease or symptoms over time where it's just like, you know, and they feel like just holding the discomfort and the pain around their disease is a big weight. So just giving voice to that also has additional therapeutic value. Lots of good pieces in there. I'm curious to ask you from your perspective, I've asked a lot of people through a lot of shows the same question. 
why are we designed this way? I want to meet the maker and be like, mm. could we not have just been like ideal, right. healthy vessels mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. just lived chemically correctly, that just lived mentally? Right. right. Yeah. Do, you have, do you have an answer well, to that question? Um, I, I have thoughts about it. Um, I mean, I think the first place I go when you mention that is the story of the Buddha, which is one where he had the life of luxury. He had everything. He had all of his needs met and yet he was still unsatisfied. Something innate in human nature about striving and struggling and fighting against you know, adversity and things like that that gives us meaning, that gives us strength, that gives us pride. And I, you know, and I also think about this going back to more of a, a biochemical way. Stress is not bad. We need stress. We need stress to build our bones. We need stress to strengthen our muscles. If things just are sitting static or, or always within their ease limits, we don't grow, we don't build, we don't, things don't get created well. So there, there is kind of this built-in like need for struggle, physically, biochemically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever. That struggle then builds us, built strength as well. Um, and we sort of need that. I don't know why that's the way the universe is designed, but I, I feel like I see that pattern showing up on lots of different levels. I think that's how we learn and how we grow, how we build empathy for other people, seeing, you know, well, I've been through this challenge and so now I'm on the other side of it, but gosh, now that person. I think about the cycles, you know, kind of the, the sort of the roller coaster, right? Kind of tracing the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs, right? And sometimes it's like, why is it so dramatic? Like, why can't everything just be like stable and whatnot? And my flippant metaphor is around this is, well, what is flatline? Flatline is death, right? Flatline is everything is just static and nothing in nature is static. There's always this ebb and flow, you know, the, the tides and the waves and the ocean to thinking about the seasons. Then, you know, the, all of those cycles, we see that in so many ways. So I feel like that's, if I'm, if I'm going to like my pattern matching hat, we see that in so many elements of nature and we inherently are part of nature it makes sense that we would mirror that in our own physical body struggles and then in our consciousness as well, even though it's not fun. Like you can't have the light without the dark. If it's always fun and joyful all the time, it loses its value. Then we just kind of become habituated to that. And so having those contrasts and those, those cycles and sometimes also just uh, trust in those cycles, knowing that like this too shall pass, right? We're not going to always be, you know, in this state of struggle or always in this state. It helps us move through more effectively. I'm, I'm chuckling because for someone who says, <laughs> I don't have an answer, you had a lot of great answers. You had, you had a lot of, they're, but they're great thoughts. And they're, they're really, I, I really do like all yeah. of them. What, what do you think inspires us to heal? I struggle with that or I think about that a lot because often I'm trying to connect with that in somebody because like I said earlier, I don't do any of the healing work for them. They do it all themselves. I just talk about it. There's individual variation. I don't think it's the same thing for every one person. I think that the simple being out of pain and being out of discomfort, I feel like gets you partway. Often that's a driver. I think that often what inspires people is their desire to be able to do the things that are meaningful to them, whether that's, you know, have the energy to run around with their grandkids or lack of pain to be able to run around with their grandkids. And it's less the lack of pain that's the key. It's more the ability to then do the thing they love or is meaningful or 
to have the energy and the mental clarity to, you know, do the big work project or often the thing that can be motivating is what the state of good health will provide the person. And so I'm often trying to kind of probe around those questions with people around, you know, what are their goals, right? What do they really want? Partly because of the nature of the work that I do and the way that I present myself around, like, we're going to do these tests and we're going to be logical and biochemistry and whatnot. I get a certain, often kind of get a certain type of person who, you know, connects to that kind of logic and that more kind of intellectual framework. And that's awesome. But I asked this question on my intake, which says, what are your goals? What's getting in the way of your goals? What do you need to be able to move forward to heal? You know, like, what do you think you need? And... So many times people say on there, I need information. I need to know what's wrong. I need to know what foods I should eat. I need and want information. And then there's kind of this assumption that as soon as I have that information, match. And whenever I see that, I always have to like take this little deep breath because yeah, information is helpful. Not going to deny that. Happy to help you find it. But that's only one of the first few steps because in some ways, in my opinion, that's the easy part. You got to actually then the day-to-day implementation, that I'm going to choose, do these, you know, make good choices around my food, choose to go to bed, choose to set boundaries around my work. I'm going to do all of these things that matter in the moment, day-to-day. Why can't we do it, right? What's getting in the way of that? And so when, when I hear from people initially that all they feel like they need is information, I'm sort of like, okay, we need to have a broader conversation about this because there's more to it and that the information is it's like the map, right? Okay, good, it's good to have a map, I want a map. It helps us go where we need to go more efficiently, but we still have to walk there, right? We still have to go there. The map isn't the journey. It's something I've been wrestling with Mm -hmm. a lot lately and I really actually find myself aligned with you that so much, I think, of what starts us on this journey is Mm -hmm. suffering, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? It's like the easy motivator. Like, I Mm -hmm. am not feeling good. So I got to try something else. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's good to then start to have a map of where we're going. But I do think of all the motivators, the one that really pulls you Mm -hmm. the furthest Mm -hmm. to to the highest level of health is when you're running towards something instead of running away from something. Exactly, exactly. What led you here? You feel to me mm-hmm. different than sort of my limited notions of Western medicine, Western mm-hmm. doctors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yet I'm assuming you grew up in this community, in sure. this culture, yeah. in this notion of medicine. Yeah. Right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's so many things. The, the bullet points of my story are basically... I was a big science nerd all through college. I was, you know, physics and biochemistry double major, and I did research and all this stuff. And I was super into like the science of things because I found that fascinating. And and but then I kind of kind of got tripped up in the well, what do I do with this? I want to do something that feels meaningful, that feels tangible. Kind of being stuck in like the research world where I worked on like this tiny little acronym, interacting with this other little acronym that I was like. Mm. Three other people in the world are going to care about this. Like, eh. you know, like I just it didn't it didn't feel meaningful, and so I did a version of what many people do in their early twenties is like, well, what do I do with my life? And part of where that took me is I ended up volunteering on organic farms for a chunk of time in Northern California. In some ways, that was just to like do something totally different than like science. That was also a really uh, useful learning experience around lots of different things around like 
food and plants and plant medicine and all and other you know people and community and lots of really interesting things there I got connected with learning and practice in the kind of Zen Buddhist tradition and lots of different ideas there paint the story with more clarity than it had in the moment but it was kind of this pendulum swing of okay I'm way over here in left brain science world swing over here to kind of this right brain spiritual world and then it's like what's felt like a middle ground and this kind of naturopathic medicine you know using the using science as a tool for investigation and learning but also not forgetting that other side that you know people are individuals look at the whole picture you know consider the mind and the body and everything not just you know the knee joint in isolation but again every those interconnectednesses um were all things that kind of came out of that so when i identified this as a more coherent profession like i could go to school for it and get trained not only in the science and the anatomy and the physiology but also the you know the plants and the herbs and the nutrition that was a bit of a like aha moment um, and so it, there was a pretty natural kind of progression then of like go to school and all of that and of course then in the school environment kind of immersed with all of the teachers and the teaching and especially the school I went to and all of that there's a lot of conversation of similar ilk around like the philosophy like what are we doing what is what is health what is cure what is disease you know like can you cure me and like what do you mean like like what is what is disease disease like what there's lots of um exploration of all of those ideas and then being in practice is a whole nother learning curve and interestingly enough which i totally did not expect any of this coming into it i feel like one of the biggest ways that i grew and learned and grew as a practitioner certainly came through sitting with patients but actually also came from the like marketing business side of things because I had to get out there and talk to people about what I did and I was like well I just went to school for four years I like I should know what I do but I have to summarize it now in 20 seconds like how do I do what I do I don't know you know and so it was I actually had to sit with that question and really kind of grapple well, what do I do what do I not do I had to get clear on that set boundaries on that with people I'm sorry I don't do meal plans if you're looking for that, I have a nutritionist, I'm sorry I don't do that. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not a therapist. I needed to get clear for myself, and and that came through a lot of mistakes. <laughs> oops, oops, I just, we just went somewhere that I'm not qualified to be, oops. And trying to prevent that from happening again. It's beautiful, and thank <laughs> you for, for sharing that. And are you frustrated at all with Western medicine, or are you just like, they're in a lane, and I'm in a lane, and um, I just accept? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, so many pieces on this. I'm glad I am where I am. Let's put that out there to begin with. I don't have animosity towards conventional doctors. I have a lot of sympathy for them. I think that they're in a tough spot because they have a framework and a structure that doesn't allow them to do this. So I think many people who get in to conventional MD medicine, I think that many of them go in with a good heart, right? I don't think they're going in it to be jerks. I don't think they're going in it to be awful people. But the frameworks, the institutions, the insurance system, the, you know, you have 15 minutes with a patient. If they're not up to date on their XYZ checkpoints, then you get dinged. I, I think that especially like primary care, which is the, you know, an analog to the kind of level of training I have, they've got a rough go of it. Like there's a sense in which I feel bad 
for what they're trying to do because they can't do what they really want to do. And that's a shame for them as individuals. I think when I talk to patients, they often have frustration. I went to my doctor and they didn't give me what I wanted and they wouldn't listen to me and they wouldn't run lab tests and I get to be the like, well, I can do that for you. You know, and I am pretty quick in those visits to try to not badden off the other doc. I often will say something, well, they're not trained in this. This is not their framework. This is not their model. You know, because I think medical doctors are very much trained in the like, diagnose a disease, like get a label, and then there's a medication to associate with that label, check, check, check. And that's great when you those boxes all line up and you have a medication and you can get a clear diagnosis, but a lot of people fall outside those boxes. You know, I kind of often will use the frame of, you know, what I do and my tests and things like that kind of often just fall a little bit outside the realm of conventional medicine. I'm looking at different things. I'm looking at things from a slightly different perspective so that I get to find different things. And so, especially like people with digestive stuff, like um, irritable bowel, right? It's one of those, the wastebasket diagnosis, right? The gastroenterologist gives that to the person because they've ruled out Crohn's, they've ruled out colitis, they've ruled out all the big scary things. And so the specialist, the gastroenterologist is like, well, I did my job, I ruled out all the big scary things, you don't have these diseases, if you did, I could treat those with medications. But then what they miss is the fact that that person still doesn't feel good, right? Getting that label isn't healing. For them, right? That's that's just a starting point. And so often that's when then, you know, I come on the team and I'm like, well, now our job is to figure out what's causing your irritable bowel. What are all the different, you know, what about foods? What about microbiome? What about stress? Which are all things, again, getting bigger and broader and more holistic perspective than what that specialist has time or training for. Paint my ideal magic wand world. I feel like primary care type people, kind of entry points, I feel like should be people like me, kind of primary care that's considering all these options and helping to be a bit of a coordinator. Okay, you need to see the specialist because you have autoimmune disease. You need to see the therapist because you have, you know, you need to work on your stress levels. You need to see the personal trainer for your exercise, right? And like helping to coordinate and direct. Yeah, I'm not anti-doctors. Like, med- like medical doctors, but, you know, because also I'm sure you've seen this, but there's, they do all these funny studies too, where it's like 30 seconds of empathy shows that patient outcomes increase by 70%. I'm making up the numbers. And it's like, as a human being, we're like, of course, we knew that. Like, look at the person, listen to them, pay attention. But like medical doc, like they need to be told to stop looking at the computer screen and talk to their patient because they're, you know, stuck in their framework and they're like, I got to get my work done and I'm super busy about that. And there's sort of the, some of the human side of that gets missed. And so I find sometimes that that ends up being a role I end up in is allowing for the frustration and the venting that people have around their other poor experiences. And I'm often like, well, I'm sorry that happened to you. As you're answering that question, I found myself thinking, I'm just really reminded, like, oh, right, we're really complex. (laughs) Health is really complex. And it's nice when we allow it to be complex. Yeah, Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, I live in the world of whatever, mental health. For myself, use a little bit different language. (laughs) But in that world, right, right, I'm like, oh, right, we're going to take time. We're going to take a lot of time, Mm -hmm. and we're going to understand 
what your distress of today is, what you really are longing for. We are going to look back to some of the fundamental mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. and experiences yeah. of the past that have shaped yes. the beliefs of today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It takes yeah. time yeah. because yeah. your mental health is yeah. complex. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I appreciate here, like, oh, right, our physiology yeah. is complex. complex. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a, absolutely, there's a lot of pieces to that and I think sometimes just giving voice to that is helpful because I think sometimes people come in with a misaligned expectation of you know well I just need to figure out the right thing the food to avoid the right pill to take the right diet and just saying like yeah it's complex there's multiple different pieces like I I break down this framework people often I'm not going to do all of it but there's like one of the reasons why I spend the time to do it is, and it takes me probably about 20 minutes to get through it, is that partly to illustrate it's complex. There's multiple pieces. It's funny to give you the behind the scenes on this because I have common stories that I share with people often and I have kind of common little linguistical words that are like phrases that I sling out there. And one of them, when I start talking about food, is exactly what you just said. I'm like, okay, the next thing we want to consider is the role of food. I pause and I go... Food is complex. <laughs> There's a lot going on with food, as you might imagine. You know, nutrition and food responses and digestion and, you know, environmental exposure, like, like the organic versus, you know, there's a lot that can just within that one. Yeah, and I think it can be comforting in a way for people to get, kind of get a validation that it is complex and there's a, lots of different pieces and we're going to try to unpack that. But I think that false expectation of, oh, I just need to find the one thing, the cause, the simple. And then when it's not that simple, they get discouraged, they get frustrated, they get um, dissatisfied. And it's like, well, there's more to this. And we want to create space and create a ideally a relationship with me, you know, and me and my patients around that work. From your point of view, from your mm-hmm. experiences, general advice, random people are listening yes. to this. Yes. Is there a general something you would say there's a a number of different angles on this there's not magic okay what am I getting there's a a couple things I'm thinking about one is that I think because of the internet people often at least when they're seeking care from me I think they have this expectation about the establishment is hiding something from me you know kind of this like conspiracy theory edge of like just that one thing I need to find that magical thing it's gluten it's you know CoQ10 whatever you know magical item they're looking for that one single thing that's going to change everything and that's what I mean when I say like rarely is it that straightforward or that magical I hold space for miracles and, you know, healing of all sorts of unexpected ways. That That's very true and can happen. But that simplicity of, like, the conventional box are hiding this from me and you, alternative practitioner, have some magic. I have to make the jokes. Like, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have a magic wand. I don't wear a wizard hat. I'm just a person. We're bound by chemistry. I don't know. Expectation setting around that feels really important to me. I think that another big thing I want people to maybe know of is as a person in the world you gotta be like you got so many options there's so many great things but you also you kind of have to be in charge of it right you can't necessarily trust your primary care kaiser doc to be keeping tabs on all the things so if you're not happy with the care you're getting you're not happy with how you're feeling there are 
many ways to work on that and to have people help you, but you've also got to look for it. You've got to find it. You've got to seek out the people. You've got to be your own advocate. There are people out there that can help, but you've got to meet them uh, as well. Because um, I feel like I do that a lot with people. Of They come, they, they share stories about how things went poorly with other doctors, and now they're asking basically me to clean up that mess. And I'm like, yes, I can help you with your thyroid concern, but you're well within your right to go back to that other doctor and ask for a retest or better answers or a new prescription or, you know, whatever it is, like you can go back and talk to them too. It's funny because I feel like, I, I feel like my credentials wants me to answer this question by saying like, eat more vegetables and eat less meat or whatever, you know, and I don't want to say that because um, I don't think that that's a foundational thing. Like to me, that's like secondary. Um, I think that the components that matter more, in my opinion, are actually some of these more, I think it's a lot around kind of mental health and perspectives and that kind of emotional resiliency and, you know, risk tolerance and stress management and all of that feels really foundational because I feel like choices around food, other choices around self-care sit on top of that. Yeah, eat vegetables, of course. <laughs> you know, like drink water, get some sleep, get out in nature, get your sunshine, like all of the things we already know. It's not sexy it's all the like stuff your grandma knew turn off your phone and go do it i also feel like turn off your work computer turn turn it leave work at work come home live your life i feel like i see so many people where it's just all bled together in a way that is just that constant you know for lack of a better word rat race of stress and chaos and it's not serving anybody well and so it's like You'll be a better, more productive member of your work team if you take some time to take care of yourself. You have permission, you have support to do that. And I think there can often be a lot of like cultural, you know, like fear. Or I don't want my team to think I'm not doing it. But actually, I think that can be such a powerful example when, you know, an individual has the strength to stand up and say, like, I'm going to turn my phone off at seven o'clock at night and I'm not going to look at it again until eight o'clock in the morning when I get to work, you know, or whatever the, the timeline, I suggest that to people sometimes and like, oh, I could never. And I'm like, come on, you, you know, those are a lot of things that come to mind. Those are great. <laughs> I don't know. Great. Um, those are all things yeah. I think could help people. Um, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much. And I mean, I just yeah, really do appreciate welcome. you sharing all your thoughts on all these complex questions <laughs> you're welcome I'm glad to do it yeah. it's always worth thinking about and always good to get those ideas out there so. thank you Laura for sharing your wisdom with us and a shout out to my best bud Justin Reed for the music you hear in each episode if you want to reach out to either of these individuals there are links in the show notes so check those out and of course thank you to you the listener for joining us if you're digging these conversations, please help us spread the word by telling people directly or through social media about this podcast. Tune in again for another great episode.